Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. Hope you are having a great day. Okay, here we go. Here's my special shout out to Ireland. You're back in first place, Ireland. You know we have 17 countries that hear this show. And we have the largest audience in Ireland. So here we are. We start off the year. You guys rock. You know what you have to do? You have to, no matter what country you're in, make everyone aware of this English-speaking show about disability because everyone has a huge interest in trying to help people with disabilities no matter where they are in the world. But thank you so much. And Yoshiko Dart, here we are, Yoshiko, off to the new year with my greeting to you. And you know why I want to keep that spirit of Justin Dart alive. And I certainly have to thank our lead sponsor, Highmark, Blue Cross Blue Shield, and our sponsor for the first part of the year, AudioEye. And AudioEye, what a great company, what a great software product they have for web accessibility. You've got to check them out, AudioEye.com. Well, I am so excited today about this show because guess what? I met this wonderful champion, well-known disability rights leader way back in 1997 when I served on the President's Committee on the Employment of People with Disabilities under Tony Coelho, who was reported to President Clinton. And that is when I had the great, great pleasure of first meeting Mr. Claiborne Houghton, President and CEO of the Houghton Group, Clay. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Joyce. Well, it is so exciting to have you here. And, you know, uh, Clay, I met you then. I have just seen you off and on through social media and different places, always thought so highly of you. Uh, But your story, I want to just tell you, if you're a corporation or a business listening to this show, this man is a fabulous choice for you for a motivational speaker um, or consultant to come in. I mean, his story is unbelievable. So, Clay, how about if we start by telling everyone your story, because I know you were born with disabilities and you lived in an orphanage as you began your life. And look at you today, what a champion and how successful and how uh, you achieve such goals academically. Uh, but what was that like, Clay, at that time in your life? Well, Joyce, first, it's my privilege to be on your inspiring radio show, and thank you so much for inviting me. The great abolitionist and former slave Frederick Douglass said, you're not judged by the height you have risen, but from the depth you have uh, climbed. And in that light, yes, I was born with cerebral palsy, Blindness in one eye on a plantation in Jim Crow segregated Louisiana in 1946. Joyce, I wore Coke bottle glasses that were so thick that when I looked at a map, I could see people waving at me in Podunk, Iowa. 
And I was a and I was a ward of the Blunden home in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, for twelve years before I was successfully reunited with my family in uh, Thibodeau, Louisiana. Twelve and I recall years. Fondly, wow. Yes, ma'am. Twelve years. And I recall finally the counsel of my guardian, the executive director of that home. Her name was Marion G. Wells, and she was a white woman who was often ostracized, vilified, demonized for her great work on behalf of African-American children in Baton Rouge. But she kept me on the straight and narrow. She said to me, she said, Claiborne, you know, because of your disabilities, you will need an education to uh, make it in this world. And I said, well, Miss Wells, I'm good at shooting marbles. Uh, maybe I could make a living as a marble shooting champion. <laughs> and she replied, but son, the good book said, thou shalt not marble. And at this Christian home, there were about 70 other boys and girls at any one time. For 10 years, I wore steel leg braces during the day and later at night. Fell down often, but I always got up. Ms. Wells drove me to the physical therapy at United's Reba Palsy Center of Greater Baton Rouge for 12 years to build stamina and to improve my walking gait. And I must say, United's Reba Palsy, Joyce, they changed my life. And I thank them because I became extremely proud later on as an adult when they found me worthy of giving me the Memorial Arthur Ruthoff Memorial Award. And I can't thank Ms. Wells enough because what she really did was she inspired me to nurture my faith through Scripture and to develop a victorious spirit. And so in 1995, I had the opportunity to chair a committee serve as the keynote speaker, and have a reunion for her back in Baton Rouge. We brought her from New York City at the age of 85, and her children, they shout her with love and gifts, and it brought tears to her eyes. It filled my sisters and brothers with unspeakable joy. And so I'm, I'm pleased that at Blunden, they helped to turn my life around into a series of possibilities. Wow. You know what? You could be a movie. You know that? Oh, I mean, that is, um, that is unbelievable, though, when you think about being during that time in Louisiana with all that racism and everything, and then growing up in an orphanage and against all odds, just being so successful. Uh, I mean, have you considered writing a book, Clay? Well, I've been thinking about it, and um, I uh, am a procrastinator on that topic, Joyce. <laughs> that takes a lot, a lot of work, and uh, I'm trying to get my archives together to, to think about that one. Well, I'll tell you what. I think I'll put you in my book I'm writing, and you can still write your book, because that story, and I'm not kidding when I tell you that, here is the example of, you know, Against all odds, first of all, racial, terrible racial period. As you said, they even demonized the, you know, the uh, white woman at that school because she was helping African Americans. I mean, a time when they were still killing African Americans in the South. And here you are. Add to that, you have these disabilities. 
and you're in an orphanage. You know, it's not like you were born in this wealthy uh, home. And look what you did. You and so if you're listening to this show, you would be out of your mind if you don't get this man to come and speak, because you know how there are people today, and like they don't get it. They'll think you know they just don't get it about people with disabilities and what they can do. And I'd like to put his story against other people's story. You know, I would like to do that. Uh, I mean, that is just so inspiring when you tell that story, uh, Clay. And you then went on. I want everyone to listen to this to get a bachelor's degree in what? Biology. You didn't mess around, boy. From Dillard University, an MPA from American University. And you're a graduate of the Armed Forces State College and the Industrial College of the Armed Forces. And just, I mean, you if you just go to his and read about him, even put it in Google, like you won't believe how many awards this man has won and what he did at the Department of Defense, which we will be uh, talking about. But what I wanted to ask you, what was it, Clay? How, how in the heck were you able to do this? I mean, you did this, as I said earlier, against all odds. So how did you combat this terrible discrimination in your life, being black and disabled in the South? Well, Joe, I should know, after I got out of uh, high school, uh, I received a magnificent blessing. Uh, when the state of Louisiana looked at my uh, poverty, disability, and academic record, uh, I was awarded a four-year vocational rehabilitation scholarship, a vocational rehabilitation scholarship, uh, which was very, very important to Dillard University in New Orleans, Louisiana, which is a prestigious private historically black college and university. And I recall during the summer after my sophomore year, I had to work to get myself through. I started as a nurse's aide at Charity Hospital in New Orleans. I enjoyed the job, but it was too hard for me to do that kind of work and study biology. So I applied for a part-time porter's job at this Swagman Brothers giant supermarket. Enjoyed a dress for success. I wore a white shirt and necktie for the interview. And I landed a job, although I was applying for a job as a porter, I got a job as a produce clerk, which required the uniform of a white shirt, tie, and white apron. Now, how about that? So how about that? I, I, and my job was to fill and uh, empty the produce stand and weigh uh, groceries and stuff, and um, I doubled as a porter at night. But, Joyce, let me tell you something. In 1966, at that store, I was making... A dollar and ten cents an hour. And I used that uh, money to buy food, school supplies, and but mostly I purchased clothing. You know, Joyce, I, 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 I started to go down on Rampart Street where the tailors hung out. And uh, I started getting myself tailor-made suits. And I earned a reputation uh, as one of the best-dressed men on that campus. And I haven't looked back since in terms of dress code. So as a person with disabilities, I learned early on the value of always looking my best, doing my best, and being my best in the workplace. And so I enjoyed a mainstream uh, education in college, but I had a strong course content 
straight A average in sociology, religion, and philosophy. But uh, although I didn't do well in chemistry and physics, I was still able to graduate with that BA in biology or pre-med, and I thought I wanted to go on to uh, medical school. But all of my peers uh, who were getting to medical school, uh, they were graduating magna cum laude, summa cum laude. Joyce, and since I graduated, thank you, Lord. There, the only way I could have gotten into medical school would have been as a cadaver. So I had a life or death decision. I chose life. I went looking for a job. Now, Joyce, I sent out over 100 resumes in six months. I didn't get a single job offer. Took a test down at the telephone company for a management trainee job. They told me I was overly qualified. In some way, told me about the federal government. Took the federal service interest examination. I flunked it. And somebody says, well, Clay, with all that rejection and disappointment, you know, how, how did you feel about that? Didn't you get discouraged? I said, no, because somebody in that home told me about Psalms 30 and 5. Weeping may do it for the night, but joy cometh in the morning. But things were still uh, up in the air. And uh, I'll pause and let you go to your next question. Oh, no, I mean, I love hearing you. And by the way, hey, lesson for all you young people listening I all, with disabilities, I always say you get one chance to make a first impression. Yes. How are you dressed? How do yes. you look? And if you aren't dressed appropriately, you know what I'm going to think? Well, that's how you'll be with your work. And by the way, how much could you respect this company if this is how you come dressed? I hope you listen to what he said. Because I know that is true. I know that is so true. Um, and then, as you said, Clay, you got in the federal government, and then here it goes. Not just in any area in the federal government, not just any area, the Department of Defense, the most prestigious. Um, you know, the, the, the federal agency that protects our country. This is where you were, and how did that happen? How did you first get in with the Department of Defense? Well, Joyce, I, armed with my faith and my degree, I finally passed that federal service interest examination, and um, I was offered a job along with a classmate uh, with the Defense Logistics Agency, or DLA, in Indianapolis, Indiana, and they told us to arrive five days after graduation. And I started uh, at the bottom of the ladder at DLA as a GS-5, quality assurance trainee, uh, inspecting packaging and packing and DOD contractors' facilities all over Indiana. And I can't sum up how happy I was to get a good government job. And I was able to honor my father, mother, and sister by sponsoring their first airplane trips to come and uh, visit me. And uh, I continued to move up in my quality assurance career. I became a GS-11 uh, packaging specialist. And I was a good one, too, Joyce. But a white supervisor came by one day and said, Clay, if I'm quoted, I'm going to deny it. Yes, you are one of the sharpest knives in the drawer here, but you're the only black person in here, and this office is not ready for an African-American GS-12 supervisor. And so oh. on the road to Damascus, I decided to change career uh -huh. fields to equal opportunity and get a job reviewing federal contractors' affirmative action programs in Indiana. 
And after two years of trying, I got the job, but I had to lateral to a GS-11 position in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I wondered why it was so hard. And I learned to learn, later learned that the director, uh, he had made it difficult for me because, and I quote, he could not use crippled people in his program. Oh, and, uh, it's getting yeah, worse as and, we go along. <laughs> mm-hmm. So despite his misgivings, I got into the EEO field. I had to move three more times to Chicago and then back to uh, Indianapolis. But through it all, I persevered, performed in excellence, became a rising star, and landed the top career policy job over the national program at the Pentagon. And I had policy oversight over guess who? That dubious official who thought I did not have the right stuff to do the job. Oh, I love it. Disability. I have to admit, I love that. God has his ways. God has his ways. I agree with that one, Joyce. Amen. And you know, I I, I also furthered my education at the American University as a conditional student since I had a 10-year-old undergraduate degree in biology. And uh, they told me I was conditional because, and and I had to make a B average in my first four courses. But I'm happy to tell you, Joyce, that um, I earned a master's of public administration degree from American University with a 3.8 average and was inducted into the Phi Alpha Alpha National Honor Society for Public Affairs and Administration. Additionally, I was one of the first DOD civilians with a disability to complete the Industrial College of the Armed Forces, Washington, D.C., and the Armed Forces Staff College in Norfolk, Virginia. And so my attitude was in the words of that great philosopher, you know, the joy, the godfather of soul, James Brown, who said, I don't want nobody giving me nothing. Just open up the door and I'll get it myself. And so, Joyce, permit me a modest display of ego to summarize my career in DOD by telling you I'm deeply humbled that 12 years from the first day I started as a GS-5, I became a GS-16 and charter member of the Senior Executive Service. And my permanent career SES job was Principal Director for DOD Military and Civilian uh, Equal Opportunity Programs. And I was the ranking career EO official at the Pentagon for 23 years with responsibility for these programs affecting our 2.7 million active duty military and National Guard and Reserve personnel as well as our over 680,000 civilians within DOD worldwide. I also had policy oversight responsibility over the Defense Equal Opportunity Management Institute, or what we call DOMI. It's the largest equal opportunity training program in the nation, and it's located at Patrick Air Force Base, Florida. And I was able to retire as the acting Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Equal Opportunity from the Office of the Undersecretary of Defense for Personnel and Readiness at the Pentagon in 2002 after a blessed 35-year career with DOD. And, Joyce, the rest is black history. I'm going to tell you, that is the greatest story. That is, here they were discriminating against you, and look where you went, not only supervising them, look what you're in, affirmative action. Mm -hmm. I love it. 
But look at the level. You know, you're very humble, but I've got to tell you, Clay, you deserve every single thing you got for your perseverance, hard work, your intellect, your passion. Um, You are absolutely an example for other people with disabilities because you know what I love? No pity. No pity. You went for it. You got it. And that is so, just so inspiring to me. If you're listening to this show, hey, if you don't want this man to speak for you somewhere, something's wrong. Because, I mean, I know I'm going to get all these calls from listeners because this was just so absolutely inspiring. And then, after all of this that he's telling you, he became very well-known in the disability community. Very well-known. I, I told you, this is how I met him, uh, because he was appointed by President Clinton uh, and Tony Quello to the President's Committee on Employment of People with Disabilities. And then that great accomplishment, CAP, Workforce Recruitment, changed the lives of so many people with disabilities working for the federal government. I wonder if you would mind sharing what you did and what those programs are. Yes, ma'am. And let me just say, Joyce, you are an astute interviewer. I mean, you just peeping into my soul, and I appreciate that. And uh, this one is a very important question because uh, the renowned DOD Computer Accommodations Program, or CAMP, and the uh, Federal Workforce Recruitment Program, or the WRP, they are two pillars of a five-groundbreaking pillar program which made up the first DOD disability employment programs I started about 40 years ago. Now, I personally performed all the duties of a disability program manager for two years, uh, simply as a labor of love, uh, because I thought I had a purpose, a purpose to uh, use my talents on behalf of other individuals with disabilities. And I did this in addition to all my other uh, SES functions because I didn't have the assigned staff for the function. So let me uh, get to your two items by looking at these five flagship pillars that I'm talking about in uh, sequence. Uh, the first one, uh, circa 1980, was, if you believe it or not, the development of the first Secretary of Defense Disability Policy. And wow. the second was the DOD Secretary of Defense of Disability Award Ceremony, and this was inaugurated in 1981. And what happens at this ceremony was the Secretary of Defense personally presented awards to civilians with disabilities for their outstanding contributions to national security. And you know why? Because when I went into all the other programs where people were getting awards, I never saw a person with a disability. And so the program uh, today also includes our wounded warriors. And awards are also presented to our DOD agencies for their outstanding efforts to increase the employment of people with disabilities. And to promote uh, competitions for these awards by the agencies, I conceived the Secretary of Defense 2% goal to literally double the employment of civilians with targeted or severe disabilities from 1% to 2% of the DOD workforce. And the reason I think I was successful because 
I made the case to my upper management that it makes sense for us to double this employment because we are a department where you can become disabled in defense of your country. And uh, I'm delighted to tell you, too, that uh, uh, EELC recently has adopted the DOD 2% goal so that the federal government can increase its employment of people with targeted disabilities from their abysmal 1% to 2% in terms of civilian employment and people with targeted disabilities. And I can tell you I returned to the Pentagon in 2015, and they gave me the opportunity to serve as keynote speaker for this program that I had actually developed 35 years ago, and it was an exhilarating experience. You know, most people, when they, they can't even go back to where they work, they even say hello, and I came back to that kind of welcome. And the third uh, pillar, which was very important, uh, was to hire the first GS-15 DOD-wide disability employment program managers after this two years of doing the work for myself. But I only got it approved because I later found out that the executive who approved it had a grown son with an intellectual disability. So you mm-hmm. never know who mm-hmm. will be on your side. But mm-hmm. the one thing you do know is anybody can have a disability sooner mm-hmm. or later or a family member. And so I announced this job at a level where I could ensure the inclusion of candidates with targeted disabilities. And, Joyce, let me tell you something. In 1983, I was fortunate to hire somebody that you probably know, the late, great Judy Gilliam. Now, Julia yeah. was a Phi Beta Kappa College graduate. She was paralyzed from the neck down in 1970 when she fell in her home and struck her neck on a kitchen stool. And here's what she said, and my, this is my favorite Judy quote. I can't dress myself. I can't walk up a flight of stairs. I can't pick up a glass of water. But I can work. And Joyce, work she did. With pioneering Secretary of Defense reasonable accommodations of twin voice-activated computers, one in her nursing home room, one at the Pentagon, a personal assistant, a new flexi-place procedure I created which allowed her to work at home during inclement weather. For 25 years, she was indeed an inspirational champion for people with disabilities in DOD, and her work was consistently characterized by high productivity and superiority quality. She left a wonderful legacy. And Joyce, this brings me to my fourth pillar, the one you were talking about, the CAP program. And based on my groundbreaking experience with Judy came our shared dream. Let's find out if we can have free reasonable accommodations for all DOD employees with disabilities, free of charge. And so circa 1989, we announced this CAP program to take away the excuse from any manager or supervisor who said, I would hire a person with disability, but I cannot afford the accommodation. It costs too much. That's no longer true. And you see, when I went to those military schools, I learned something about the DOD budgetary process, and I was able to use that process to start CAP, which is the largest assistive technology program in the whole world with $10.7 million in four personnel spaces. But once again, in 1990, I was fortunate enough to hire another incomparable disability champion, 
the late Dinah Cohen. And she had a disability also as CAP's first GS-15 director. And I'll tell you, due in large part to Dinah's work, as well as the dynamic work of her deputy, uh, Ms. Sharon Terrell Lindsay, for over 23 years, listen to these numbers. To date, over 63,000 individuals with disabilities have received over 154 thousand cap accommodations to support and equip them uh, in the workplace. Wow. And what you know, and let me just tell you what's amazing about CAP. In March nineteen ninety seven, Vice President Al Gore uh, gave CAP his Hammer Award for seventy million dollars in annual tra- savings based upon innovative and effective automation initiatives. When President Bush came to the Pentagon, President George W. Bush he visits the CAP program. So I think it's amazing to have a history with a program that has received visits from both a president and a vice president of the United States of America. And, Joyce, sincerely, in the words of a favorite Michael Jackson song, uh, like a sunset dying with the rising of the moon, Judy Gilliam and Donna Cohen are gone too soon. And I want to say rest in peace, my champions. Oh, I and, know. You know, and this, this, this brings me to my fifth fiddle, the Workforce Recruitment Program, or the WRP. You see, I had this, this, this vision and led the expansion of the Small Navy Recruitment Program for college students with disabilities from the Navy to DOD-wide. And you know who started this Navy program that I expanded? It was the eminent Mr. Paul Myers, who also mm-hmm. worked on the staff of the President's Committee on the, on, mm-hmm. under Tony Quello. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, uh, 1995, as right before you did, he, uh, before you came, he appointed me to uh, his executive board, and this is where I met, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this illustrious champion and trailblazer in terms of people with uh, disabilities. But you know what I, I loved about Tony Quello was when you made a good recommendation, if you worked it, uh, he took it over and uh, he helped you with it. And so it was uh, Tony Quello that said, okay, uh, I like these programs, Clay, and um, I'm going to um, get legislation to make sure that they can uh, operate uh, DOD and federal government-wide. And he did that. And so the program is now co-sponsored by DOD and the Labor Department. And thanks to the staffs of both of these organizations, Here are the numbers. The WRP has hired over 7,000 college students with disabilities for summer jobs with DOD, other federal agencies, using an annual funding source to pay salaries. And many of these students have received permanent jobs. And so it is indeed gratifying. When uh, Chairman Quello selected me for his prestigious Year 2000 Chairman's Award, also called the Justin Dart Achievement Award, for my work on his executive board and specifically for my vision and leadership concerning the CAP and the WRP. You know what? Before we go uh, to our news break, I don't know if you realize how much you've done. I mean, think about all this. CAP, accessibility, 
uh, accommodations for everyone in the federal government at no cost. WRP, um, Workforce Recruitment Program, helping all these young people with disabilities gain employment. Targeting people with targeting, in other words, significant disabilities. And as a person who is blind in one eye and has cerebral palsy, you knew that people with significant disabilities like Judy had the hardest time and still do today getting jobs. You have a legacy for what you have done, Clay. That that is truly, um, uh, how many people have you impacted? Just think, I can't even think of the number, Uh, but... Just what a what a great person, what a champion that you are. And for one moment here, we've got to go to our news break called sure. Advocacy Matters with Perry Jude Radisick from the Pennsylvania Disability Rights Network. Perry, are you with us? I, I am, Joyce, and I've been listening to the show from the uh, beginning. And, and really, Claiborne, uh, what an incredible man you are, and thank you for all you've done. Thank you. Uh, so, so Joyce, uh, Congress, uh, the, we don't have really much to report on Congress as they continue to try to organize their committees. I've looked at legislation that's been introduced. Uh, bill numbers have been assigned, but uh, the, uh, the legislature hasn't released the text of these bills, so uh, I don't have much to report on in terms of uh, our nation's capital, except that they're still trying to negotiate an end to this partial government shutdown. But we do have our state uh, legislatures, and states are moving forward on employment first. And what we know is state and policy advocacy efforts continue on the employment of people with disabilities. And advocates are always looking for ways to overcome the low rates of labor force participation by people with disabilities. So one way uh, advocates have done this is by uh, advocating for full funding for our offices a vocational rehabilitation across the country. And we do this because we know that the match for the Office of Vocational Rehabilitation is nearly four to one. That means for every state dollar budgeted for our Office of Vocational Rehabilitation, our United States government will match that dollar with nearly four dollars. So that's a great deal. For every dollar, the feds will give us four, and that money goes to help employ people with disabilities. But it takes state advocates pushing to draw down that full federal funding uh, so that it matches our state dollars. Advocates also work on employment first. And employment first is a national movement. And what that means is that Employment first should be competitive and integrated for all people, regardless of disability, and it should be considered first, and it should be the preferred outcome of publicly funded programs before sheltered workshops are considered. 
So underemployment first, it should be the first option that would be competitive and integrated employment is the first option before sheltered workshops. So uh, competitive and integrated employment means being employed at a minimum wage or better and working or interacting with, with people without disabilities in the workforce. So how do you have employment first? Well, you have to have an executive order from your governor or a state law. Here in Pennsylvania, we're lucky. We have both. We have an executive order from our Governor Wolf, and we have a state law. So why would you need an executive order or state law? Well, you need those kinds of orders or laws so that you can align state policies and state agencies to commit to that type of integrated competitive employment as a priority and then set up those reimbursement structures for public funding. Committees are established to oversee the work and coordination of these state agencies and to monitor implementation. So that's what's happening in states across the country right now. Advocates are working uh, to fully fund the Office of Vocational Rehabilitation as states consider uh, their budgets for the next fiscal year, and advocates are working on employment first, either to have employment first executive orders or legislation, or to go on and monitor implementation in those states that already have employment first policies. So advocacy matters, and it matters in employment. And our advocates are doing a great job across the country, Joyce. Well, that is awesome. And Perry, I really appreciate this because we've got to continue to inspire people to be advocates no matter what is happening. And if you don't mind, Perry, on one of the shows, give us an update of what's going on in this country with sheltered workshops. Absolutely. Okay. Well, hey, have a great day. What is that website that you're at, Perry? Yes, we're, we, by the end of the day, we'll have a lot of information up about Employment First, as well as a map of where all the states are with Employment First. If you visit disabilityrightspa.org, that's disabilityrightspa.org. Oh, awesome. Make a contribution also. Hey, thank Perry. Thanks, Perry. Sure, thanks, thanks for being sure. with us. Sure, no problem. Yeah, Clay, this is a thing we do is that mm-hmm. uh, they call in, you know, Disability Rights Network uh, mm-hmm. across the board, NDRN. They call in to give us an update just on what's going on in the news to keep people listening to this show up to date. So, mm-hmm. um I always appreciate when she calls in. Hey, I wanted to mention, and this is just unbelievable, but you have done a lot to mentor other people. Now, Mm -hmm. Mr. Clarence Johnson is now a key leader at DOD over some of these programs, and I know he thinks so highly of you. And he is also being a trailblazer, but I wondered if you could talk about him for a moment. 
Yes, ma'am. Uh, yeah, Mr. Johnson is uh, a member of the Senior Executive Service. Um, today he's director of the DOD Diversity Management and Operations Center. He's an accomplished leader. Uh, he served his country with distinction and retired as a colonel from the uh, Air Force, and he served as my director for military equal opportunity during my time. And uh, when I retired, he became my successor. But just so you know, uh, Mr. Johnson also works closely with another um, person who is uh, Ms. Stephanie Miller. She's the director of the DOD Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at the Pentagon. She, too, is a distinguished member of the SES, and she's a recipient of the DOD Distinguished Service Medal, the highest civilian award for her many contributions to DOD. Now, I haven't met her, but I was impressed with her speech at the October 2018 DOD Disability Award Ceremony that I attended. And also on her staff is the disability champion, the current director of DOD Disability Policy and Programs, Mr. Randy Cooper. And so I'm confident, George, that all of these key leaders will continue their outstanding work to keep DOD on the cutting edge of programs for people with disabilities, and they're going to keep them alive and thriving as they have done in the past. And it's my fervent hope that sometime in the not-too-distant tomorrow, they will help DOD and the federal government to achieve that 2% goal to double the employment of individuals with uh, serious disabilities. Well, I believe that they will. And I, I believe that you have had an impact on them because of how highly they think of you. Um, and, and I think all of the people you mentioned are truly champions, no question. And wow, you know, we keep coming up with these things that are accolades, but this is one that really, really impressed me. And because there's so many, unless we had five hours, I can't talk about all of them. But um, you had a 15,000-plus volume library named after you. And I, I, just, I just think that's unbelievable. I mean, that is so awesome. Would you say that, well, what did that mean to you? That is such a great accomplishment. Well, Joyce, you know, I have had an amazing career full of significant awards. And a joke around uh, DOD was that the side of the Pentagon where my office is located is leaning badly due to all the awards and plaques on my Who Me wall. And so I'm still reeling, though, from the love, hugs, kind words, and awards received from over two, 460 wonderful people who jammed the officers club at the Air Force Base for my retirement ceremony uh, luncheon in June 2002. And so I just want to give all glory to God uh, for all of these, these honors. I want to always be grateful to the London Orphanage Home, my universities, my divine family and friends, former bosses, great staffs, and but specifically to the men and women in uniform from all over the world for all they do to help keep our nation secure and free. And I will always be grateful to DOD for giving me a person who is African-American with disabilities, a rewarding 35-year career dedicated to achievement of equality, diversity, and inclusion while at the same time serving my 
country. And let me say it this way. Joyce, today, here I stand. 52 years later, after starting as a GS-5, Claiborne Horton, USBOD civilian retired, recipient of the presidential rank of meritorious senior executive signed by President Clinton, the second highest award for a member of the federal SCS, two-time recipient of the DOD Distinguished Service, the highest DOD medal, and as you said, the library at the Defense Equal Opportunity Management Institute names in my honor, uh, President's Awards from groups that represent the diversity of America, and uh, recipient of the 2015 Outstanding Alumni Awards, Lifetime Award from both of my alma maters, Dillard and uh, American University. And, George, you know what? I'm on the floor for about one half hour a day working on my six-pack abs to look like Tom Cruise, Usher, and 50 Cent. But the problem is, <laughs> the problem is my work hasn't taken yet. <laughs> and, you know, there comes a time, George, when for all of us, there will be a time when your luxurious head of hair and your downers or girly figures will have gone and left no forwarding address. But my message to you is... <laughs> My message is this, going through the motion, I've lost seven pounds, and my message, never give up, never give up. And, George, the most, yes, transformative uh, achievement in my career, and the one that I give and get the most personal pride is being the father of the five-pillar DOD disability program for individuals with uh, disabilities. Well, all I can say is what I told you at the beginning, which is, wow. That's the only thing I can say. I'm just so proud to know you, Clay. I am so proud to know you. And by the way, you know how you said you always wanted people with targeted disabilities? You mentioned uh, Mr. Randy Cooper, also a person who is blind. So Mm -hmm. there you go. You kept everything going and I know that he is uh, does a fabulous job and is a great person so you did you really did keep that going you never stopped Um, so Clay before we go today I want you to tell everyone about your company well I'll tell you Joyce for um, you know 16 years I've been the president of the company uh, as a motivational speaker and executive uh, coach um, I've, you know, delivered over 500 presentations nationally and internationally. But what I enjoy most, and I spend two-thirds of my time using the podium as a bully pulpit, speaking at federal agencies, National Disability Employment Awareness Month, because I want as many of them as possible to mirror the five-pillar DOD uh, disability program. And... Uh, one of the things that I also try to do is I don't, I, I, I don't talk on this topic without also dealing with the responsibilities of people with disabilities. You see, uh, we too must remember that life is hard by the yard, but inch by inch, it's a cinch. And the poet Douglas Malick said it this way, if you can't be a pine on the top of the hill, be a shrub in the valley, but be the best of a shrub on the side of the hill. Be a bush if you can't be a tree. If you can't be a highway, then just be a tree. If you can't be the sun, be a star. For it isn't by science that you win or you fail. Be the best of whatever you are. And I always like to tell my audience, do not read a book by its cover when it comes to people with disabilities because anything that so-called 
able-bodied people can do two, people with disabilities can't just about do two. And I tell them, for the pages of history, they're full of stories of undaunted men and women who have triumphed over disability and adversity to demonstrate victorious spirit. And when you flex your muscles in the front of your morning mirror, congratulate yourselves on your nimble brain. Remember, the light over that mirror was perfected by a person with a disability. While you're mounting radio plays, remember a person with a disability who helped to invent it. If you like classical music, you could hear a symphony that was written by a composer who could hardly hear. If you like contemporary music, you may hear a song that's being sung by an artist who was black or Hispanic and blind. A former American president who set a 12-year unbeatable or political record could hardly walk. A woman born unable to see, speak, or hear stands out as one of the greatest achievers in American history. And so people with disabilities have enriched the lives of all of Americans, and we can do so much more when given the opportunity and when we do not let their incredible talents to go to waste. And in my company as a mentor and sponsor, executive coach, I am so glad that over the years I have increased my numbers to about 125 of the people I have helped to become GS-15s and members of the Senior Executive Service. And another thing that I do that you should be interested in, do I continue to promote the contents of highly praised DOD publications on uh, African Americans and women and Hispanics in defense of our nation, uh, that I actually served as program manager and executive editor. You see, I firmly believe in this uh, African proverb uh, that says, until the lion tells his side of the story, the tale of the hunt will always glorify the hunter. So let me just go ahead to continue to encourage you, because I heard you say this, to go ahead and make an archive for all the tapes of all this wonderful, this wonderful radio program you have, of all these incredible people with disabilities that you have on, and get that, all of these programs set up for posterity. I think that is so very, very important. I think that is a great idea, because from uh, Senator Harkin to Tony Coelho to... Uh, Valerie Jarrett, to CEOs, to Judy Human, Andy Imperato, you know, I could go on and not Ted Kennedy Jr., but we have like 13 years. And by the way, if you want to hear Clay again, it's on demand. You can get it from iTunes. You can go to my website, um, BenderConsult.com. And you can get this iPod. And I would tell you, if I were you, I'd get it and I'd share it. Because how powerful is it? Clay, if they want to reach you, how do they reach you? Oh, they can reach me. Uh, best, best thing is would be uh, by uh, phone, 703-587-5496. 703-587-5496. And can they reach you on Facebook or LinkedIn? Yes, on both Facebook and LinkedIn. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Okay, Facebook and LinkedIn, that's good. Um, and I know I'm going to be telling everyone about you, but of course, a lot of people are hearing about you right now. Uh, and as I said, I'm just so proud of you, so blessed Thank to you. know you. So, Clay, in closing, look what you've done so much 
someone had to be a major role model, and who would that be? My major uh, role model would be um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. is at the top of my uh, list. And, George, you know, it's noteworthy that uh, although the legal holiday is next Monday, um, you selected me for this program on the actual date of his birthday, which is today. And uh, on that hyphen between January 15, uh, 1929, and April 4, 1968, he left a committed life behind. And Dr. King, in just 13 years of organized nonviolent resistance, he achieved more genuine freedom for African Americans than the previous three centuries had produced. And I sincerely believe that that's a wonderful testament for, to his love for freedom and justice. And so, Joyce, as an African-American, my joy hugs my joy uh, when I reflect upon his life and legacy and uh, how he inspired me. And, you know, and my other person who is on the top of my list as a role model is the illustrious disability uh, champion and the author of the ADA, the Honorable Tony Quello. Uh, You see... uh, Tony and the advocates of the ADL, they broke into American history like beneficent burglars, bringing with them the gifts of vision, passion, and truth in that struggle to achieve access, transportation, jobs, justice for America's largest minority group, the 54 million Americans with disabilities, too many of whom for too long have been left out and shut out. And so it's a momentous that uh, thanks to him he was able to do the work so that President George H.W. Bush signed that ADA in 1990, and I was one of those thousands of Americans with disabilities sitting on that White House lawn during that signing ceremony. And so I thank uh, Mr. Quello for his authorship and his hard work on the passage, but I also want to remember today and thank President Bush for signing the ADA, which I consider the most enduring legacy of his presidency. And so rest in peace, Mr. Uh, President. And, Joy, so let me just close by saying that, uh, you know, the ADA still holds the promise uh, to make every day Independence Day for people with disabilities, and there has been so wonderful, much progress in these 28 years. But, again, despite this tremendous progress, you know, we still have work to do because the progress under the ADA is fragile, it's reversible, if we do not remain vigilant and proactive. For example, today there is an arbitrary and capricious movement afoot to repeal the ADA. But during my 23 years in government, I still have hope for the future for our nation and for liberty and justice for Americans with disabilities because, as Dr. King said, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Joyce, thank well, you so much well, for inviting oh, me. Oh, listen, that was so, well, then you know what? We end every show with a quote, and guess what it is today? It is darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light Only can light. do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that, yep. said the great doctor Martin Luther King Jr. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. Talk to you next week. Streaming live. 
the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader in Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit Voice America Variety. 